there is an interesting fact about me, and that is that I love taking personality tests. My teenage years were filled with Cosmo quizzes to figure out what kind of marriage would be best for me or signing up for workshops and retreats that helped me identify my strengths, challenges, and overall learn more about myself. So when I discovered the Enneagram a few years ago, I was hooked. I was amazed at how accurate it was. It also allowed me to gain a deeper, more meaningful understanding of the people that I work with and of my own husband. So that is why I was super excited to have our guest today on the podcast, Enneagram expert Ian Cron. He shares how the stories we tell ourselves as children harm us later in life and how the Enneagram helps us live a better, truer story than the one we have settled for. Today's episode is for you if you're ready to unlock your deepest potential and start living a new story that supports your goals. Let's get started. Welcome to the Influencer Podcast. I'm your host, Julie Solomon. If you found yourself here, it means you are ready to unleash the powerful visionary that lives inside you, turning you into an authentic leader who creates influence, impact, and change. Let's get started. Hello, Ian. Hello, Julie. How are you? I am well. I'm so excited to have you today. We're going to have a really, really fun conversation. I know we were talking a little bit offline about um, this beautiful thing called the Enneagram. And um, I'm I'm holding your book here, um, The Story of You, The Enneagram Journey to Becoming Your True Self. So my first question to you, I know this isn't your first book, um, but it's it's part of something that has been very important to your life, which is Enneagram. So why Enneagram? <laughs> well, I mean, first, you know, the Enneagram, for people who don't know, is this really fantastic, uncannily accurate personality typing system that teaches there are nine basic personality styles in the world one of which we gravitate toward and adopt in childhood is a way to cope, to protect ourselves, to feel safe in the new world of relationships that we find ourselves in as teeny people, right? My my interest in the Enneagram began in the 1990s. I was in graduate school studying to become a psychotherapist. I happened upon a book in a library one day called The Enneagram, and I was like, what the heck is that? So I I read it and I was like, oh my gosh, why has no one told me about this in our classes? Like, what the heck? Um, So that began a journey of learning. Um, Of course, I was in grad school. Then we had children. I didn't have a chance to really dive in deep. But then about 10 years ago, through a series of odd circumstances, I jumped back in. I became a teacher. And then one day, I said, I got to write a book about this because nobody has written an introduction. So that book was called The Road Back to You, uh, a, you know, an Enneagram Journey to Self-Discovery. The Story of You is a follow-up to that book, and it has been a great ride. It's been fantastic. Well, um, I was introduced to Enneagram a few years ago. Um, you know, I, I love any kind of, you know, being the fact finder that I am and the three that I am, I love to dive into all these different personality types and to, you know, see which one I fit in. And, and uh, Enneagram has always stuck with me um, because not only has it allowed me to really understand myself more, it's really allowed me to show up and hold space 
in a much different way once I can understand other, other people. So, you know, in my relationship with my husband, um, in how I lead with my team, um, knowing the types of people I need on my team to really make sure that it flows and, and it ticks. Um, but for those who may be listening that, that don't know anything about the Enneagram and how it can really support their journey to not only personal development, but also into leadership, you know, how would you go about kind of introducing that initial concept to them um, today? Sure. Well, I mean, I can answer that two ways. One is we could do a lightning round of all nine types, right? Uh, or I could say that also that most of my work is in the corporate sphere. So I'm constantly on the road speaking to senior management teams, uh, startups, um, large, you know, Fortune 100 companies, uh, what have you. A lot of times what it helps is most of the problems in the workplace uh, are, are really not about strategy or grit or determination or strategic vision, et cetera. It's about personality. <laughs> it's about people not understanding people. Uh, and that creates, and you know this, you run a business. What do most managers and senior people have to deal with every day? People. They have to, people problems all day long. They have to manage personalities all day. And in fact, I've had many entrepreneurs and CEOs say to me, you know, before this, I just did my job. And now I spend so much of my time managing people's crazy behaviors and not getting along and quitting and, you know, et cetera. So, I mean, what does it do? It, it eliminates inefficiencies. When people don't understand each other, things become, and there's misunderstandings and there's conflict. I mean, it creates tremendous, you know, drag on the boat, Right. Um, it creates healthier cultures where people feel valued and they feel seen and, and they feel like um, their managers or their team leaders are able to see the benefit and the vision that they bring to the table, right? Their own unique gift. It helps people understand their customers, right? I mean, just the knowledge that not everybody sees the world the way that you do is huge. <laughs> it's just yes. huge. Yes. So anyway, it's I, I can't really enumerate all the benefits except to say I have seen it when, when teams, companies, families, I mean, we, we haven't even got into personal relationships yet. Um, but when they begin to use it, the revolutionary difference it makes uh, inside of families, which is a kind of organization, right? Uh, and inside of companies or nonprofits, I mean, I've just seen it radically change the uh, the inner world and architecture of organizations. Well, and I, I would love, I think it would be great to do a quick rundown. So there's, there's nine types, nine yes. personality types that every human being on the planet fits in. With, with that, is that kind of fair to say? Um, yes. Which may sound a little like, how is that possible? So but but once you really learn it, even just conceptually, I, I find it to be very, very possible. Um, and um, I would love for you to run down the nine types um, just kind of yeah. quickly there. And, and then we can talk about how they how they wing and, and how they work together. Sure. Let me let me just address that objection that lots of people have first. Um, I hear it all the time. 
you know, they'll say, well, that sounds so reductive. There are 7 billion people floating around the planet. You're saying there's only nine personality styles. And what I just tell them is, is look, there is an infinite variety of, of expressions of every single type. So yes, you are unique, but you are part of a subset of the human family, but how you express it and how you show up for life as that type is particular to you, right? So that usually makes people exhale a little bit and go, yes, I am the little snowflake mama told me I was, you know, the Enneagram won't, won't negate that, right? Okay, let's just go through them, right? Ones uh, are called the improvers. Um, you know, ones are these, and by the way, every type is beautiful when it's healthy, you know, operating with a high degree of self-awareness. When they have very little self-awareness, they kind of turn into a train wreck, right? And um, so ones are honest, they're conscientious, they're detail-oriented, self-disciplined, morally heroic people. And they're, what motivates them is a need to perfect themselves, others, and the world, right? They, they feel like that's how they're going to win love and, and acceptance, right? Uh, the twos are called the helpers. They're giving, supportive, they're caring, they're servant-hearted people. And they, but these are people who really, at their core, want to be liked and appreciated. Now, all of us want to be liked, right? But twos really want to be liked and appreciated, right? And so um, twos unconsciously, I think, believe that they can't be loved for who they are, but only for what they do for others, right? That's why they're called the helpers. Uh, so it makes sense then that disavowing their own personal needs and helping others becomes their strategy for gaining love and approval, right? Threes, you ready? The performers, here we go, Joey. Uh, driven, goal-crushing, image-conscious, productivity geniuses, and accomplishment-focused people. But their life is really based around this mistaken notion that the world only values people for what they achieve rather than for who they are inside. And so they want to be successful. They want to appear successful and they want to avoid failure at all costs because they begin if they're not healthy to equate love with success right and they begin to believe what well, what they really want is love but if they're not healthy they begin to settle for admiration which is not a good substitute for love right okay type fours uh, they're called the individualists we think there are fewer fours in the general population than any other type which makes fours swoon with delight, right? Uh, creative, sensitive, temperamental, they're emotionally intense people. And their story, if I can use that word, revolves around the misguided idea that they're missing something crucial inside. And until they regain it, they're never going to be loved and understood or feel whole and welcome in the world, right? As I mentioned, disproportionately represented in the creative arts, they, if they're not very self-aware, they, they're kind of addicted to their own suffering, right? And they seek to shore up a shaky self-image and achieve by belonging by appearing special and unique, right? You're nodding your head. Does that sound familiar and right? It does. I am married to a four who is terminally unique, 
It was so <laughs> significant in his suffering and would not yes. have it any other way. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I know that you know a lot about that as well, as you are I do. <laughs> I am. I am. Okay. My friends, have you ever thought that you have done the hard part? You have started your business and you have taken that leap from belief into really stepping out and claiming a vision for yourself. But you know that if you want to make money doing what you love, you need other support. You need to grow. You need to scale. You need a marketing strategy. You need a lot of this stuff. Now, of course, I talk so much about these things, right? Like how to identify your target audience, where to find them, which marketing channels to focus on. So you're really making the most out of your budget. And of course, how to use things like data to set goals. But there's another great podcast that I love out there that also talks about this stuff. And it's called This is Small Business. This is Small Business, an original podcast from Amazon, answers so many of these kinds of questions. Whether you're dreaming of starting your business or you're looking to take a part-time side hustle full-time, or maybe you're a few years in and you're ready to scale. This is Small Business is going to give you the practical tips that you can start using today. And I know that if you love these topics on my podcast, you're going to love them on this one too. Make sure to follow This is Small Business on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you don't miss these fantastic episodes. And a big thanks to This is Small Business Business for sponsoring the show. Moving on to investigators, type five, private, very private, highly observant, analytical, emotionally distant. The, the five's broken story really centers around the idea for them that the world is intrusive and makes more demands on them than they can meet. So to protect themselves against intrusion, and what I mean by that is every phone call, every um unexpected run-in with somebody, you know, these intrusions, people stopping at their desk. I mean, they're incredibly private people and it just costs them more than everybody else, right? So to protect themselves against intrusion, um, they reduce their own needs. They begin to observe rather than participate in life. They isolate, right? Um, And they do that because through this compulsive need to gain knowledge and information to really fend off feelings of inadequacy, right? Think of Bill Gates. If you've never seen Inside Bill's Mind, the documentary, which is I recommend everybody, if you want to learn, learn about a five, watch that, watch that documentary. Uh, six is the loyalist, warm, trustworthy, questioning, and anxious, right? I like to say that sixes suffer from pre-traumatic stress disorder. You know, Um, and their story revolves around the belief that the world is a dangerous place in which the only way to feel safe and certain is to remain hypervigilant and prepare for the worst because the worst is about to happen. Right. Okay, sevens. uh, They're the joy bombs of the Enneagram. They're called the enthusiasts. Um, You know, I think the self-limiting narrative of the seven arises from their unconscious belief that painful emotions and thoughts or situations must be avoided at all costs, right? Charming, intelligent, entertaining, future-focused, optimistic. Think Stephen Colbert, okay? Um, Sevens are afraid of being trapped in negative feelings that they are afraid they can't escape, right? Um, Eights are called the challengers, Everybody kind of knows uh, an eight somewhere. Somewhere, My mother is an eight. My daughter is an eight. Uh, these are forces of nature. Um, big personalities, larger than life, not afraid of conflict. If they get bored, they might even stir it up a little bit, you know? Um, 
they are they get more done they have more energy than any other number on the enneagram right they're just powerhouses um if every other number on the enneagram runs on 120 volts i like to say that eights all are plugged into that plug behind your dryer you know what i mean it's it's 240 all the time so with the eight the what motivates them is a need to um what do i want to say this it's really a need to mask vulnerability and weakness in themselves from other people. And the way they do that is by asserting strength and power uh, and control over other people in the environment, right? Nines, we'll finish up there. Peacemakers, oh my gosh, the sweethearts of the Enneagram, right? Kind, supportive, accommodating, easygoing, don't rock the boat. So just, these are people who, when they walk in a room, you just, you just hear the song Hakuna Matata. You know what I mean? They're just easy people. Now, what motivates them is a need to maintain connections with other people. Um, they want to have peace inside and outside of them all the time. And part of their strategy for accomplishing that is avoiding conflict at all costs. So there you go. Nine types. I love it. I was laughing when you were, my mom's a seven. And when you're explaining that, it made me giggle because whenever I'm talking to her about something serious, she'll give me about five minutes and then she'll literally say, okay, let's talk about something happy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> or it's like the world's going to crap and my mom's like, let's plan a vacation. <laughs> yeah. Or, or, you know, the world is going to hell in a handbasket, but aren't, isn't it making us grow closer as a family? Right. It's like the, they just figure out how to reframe every negative as a positive, mm -hmm, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's roll. talk about something happy. We don't, this is, this is negative stuff. Let's talk about something. Um, so I love all of this. And I want to quickly say, if someone is, is as intrigued as when I first heard about the Enneagram, um, I, if you want to dive deeper to an assessment, you can, we have a link, um, where you can get your own assessment and figure out which type you are. And there's also a promo code in the show notes. If you use um, the code influencer podcast, you'll get it for 20% off, but that link is directly there. Um, to dive in deeper to this, um, because I think that it's it really is key to helping you show up um, and really lead a, a better life. And, and that kind of goes into my next question that a lot of times, you know, Ian, we human beings, we have these stories mm -hmm. that we love to tell ourselves. And a lot of times, whether we realize it or not, um, they come, I, I call them our origin stories. They come yes. from these, the origins of where we came from in, in our childhood, these, these stories we were told to believe or what we experienced or what we heard, or, you know, maybe what type of church or religion that we grew up in. And they really start to shape how we view and see the world. And so I would love to talk about that idea of the, the tie-in between the Enneagram number and what those origin stories may be. What are those What are those stories or belief systems that started happening in our childhood that now shape how we view and see the world today? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and you know, I kind of described them a little bit when I was just kind of running through the numbers. What I was actually describing is not just the core motivation of each type, but really the broken story, the mistaken beliefs, the self-limiting um, narrative that they inhabit. And they began to formulate that story as a little person. Um, let me give you an example of one. I'll give you an Enneagram 3 story. How's that? 
Did you ever read Andre Agassi's memoir, Open? I did not. Oh, it's so good. Okay, so world, I mean, one of the greatest tennis players of all time. Um, Agassi is a little boy. His father was so strict and so put the pressure on him to become a great tennis player, which he never wanted to become. In fact, in the book, he says, I never liked tennis. I've never liked it. And yet the message he got as a little person was, if you want my love, you're going you're gonna to have to succeed. You're going to have to be the best. You can never fail, right? So he creates a story in his mind. It's called, right, the performer achiever or type three story, which is I've got to win at everything because that's the way I'm going to win love and acceptance in the world, right? Now, of course, that story kind of worked for him as a little kid because it got his needs met, right? It, it got his needs met for things like esteem and approval and safety and security, all that stuff. But when he dragged that story into adulthood, it made him miserable. He became an addict. He retired and then wrote a book about how much he always hated tennis. I mean, it, so he woke up to the broken story, but not before it cost him a lot. And so the premise of the road back, to, I mean, of uh, the story of you is this, you are trapped in a story. For most of us, we're unconscious of it. We just don't know we're trapped in the wrong story. Uh, and we live in it for so long that it's sort of like the old fish water trope after a while, right? It's like, well, what water, you know? And yet we find ourselves stuck on a gerbil wheel of mistaken beliefs, um, ideas about who we are and how the world works that make us suffer. Really, they make us suffer. We never achieve what we want to achieve. We could be living in a story that was handed to us versus the story that we want to live in that we get to write. So this book, The Story of You, is all about how do I identify the story that I'm stuck in and then how do I get out? Yeah, and there's so many great stories when you go through each chapter as the type. And so what I love that, and you share so many stories in the book, and there's one um, from the chapter of Enneagram 3, which I am one, so I connected to this deeply. Um, one of the actresses from the show, The Facts of Life, and just how she went from believing this story of having to perform and get rewarded in order to be loved, to finding this new, healthier version of a story. So I would love to know you know, how can those that once they figure out their types or maybe they already know their types, how can they use the understanding of their type to stay in that healthy three, that healthy two, that healthy eight? And you had mentioned it earlier. How do we use our type to really start rewriting a new story, one that is healthy and in alignment with who we want to be, not so much those childhood stories that may be very kind of um, detrimental and wound-based? Yes. Well, I mean, again, I think in the book, I talk about a four-stage process, right? The, it's based on the acronym SOAR, S-O-A-R. And so the first step, I think, is you need to see the story, right? And part of that is just learning about your Enneagram type, is right? Like, if you read in your Enneagram type in the book, um, you're going to connect with the story like lisa welchel who that's the person you're talking about who played blair on um the facts of life she's a dear friend and uh man she just articulates that three story doesn't she so beautifully and 
you know, what the journey that she went through, I think, was she got to a point in midlife where she just was like, I got to see, I got to like actually realize what this story has been. And really the book will help you identify it. Then you have to own what it's cost you, right? Like in her situation, she became miserable. Uh, She was so driven that, you know, it hurt relationships, her marriage, you know, in, 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 you know, just numerous ways that living in this broken story just, you know, kind of undermined her. Right. And so just owning it with a lot of self-compassion and kindness, you know, people don't get to, people don't consciously pick these stories. You know what I mean? It's like, you got to be kind with yourself and realize, you know, I got to own what this has cost me without beating myself up. Right. Then, then you have to awaken. And I think part of the awakening journey is beginning to learn to spot when you're falling back into the old story, right? It's, you know, when does the old movie relaunch, you know, and you're stuck back in that story like Groundhog Day. And then the last step is rewriting the story. It's like a conscious decision. What do I want this new story to look like? right? What do I want? Uh, what are my values? How do I bring them into alignment with this new story? And um, it's really empowering when you realize, oh my gosh, I'm the narrator. <laughs> I get to determine the story. I'm not stuck in this old story. And the uh, book does a pretty good job, I hope, of helping people move through those, uh, those four stages on the journey. Um, and so that they can, you know, realize a, a, a new life in a beautiful way. Yeah, that the acronym SOAR is, is so great for that. And, and that, that was really a big key that I took away from it is that that awareness piece of the more that we are aware of the stories that we're choosing to live by and really the other choices that we have. And the more that we are aware of our of our Enneagram type, because it does allow you to better understand yourself and how you view, view the world around you and how you work with people around you, um, the more that you can step into that. And um, do you have any tips for those that are listening that, you know, maybe they they run their own business and they have a small but mighty team, or maybe they oversee, you know, an entire department and an agency or a corporation? What are some of the ways that they could start implementing this, the Enneagram types and, and really using it to better the communication and how they connect with the people that they work with. Sure. Well, there's a couple of ways. One is you, you need to learn the Enneagram and, and I, at the risk of self-promotion, I, I would say that the road back to you, my first book on it is a tremendous way to learn it because it's a primer. Most books on the Enneagram uh, are very thick. They tend to be content rich. So they're great but they're for, they feel like they're written for clinicians, you know, like it's, but the road back to you is a very accessible, if not even a little entertaining read, you know, it's not hard to get through, but you get a lot of great information. The second way is, is, um, you know, you can use the IQ nine assessment that you mentioned to people are in your show notes. I would say that, you know, getting a whole team to read it, to take the IQ nine and begin to have a conversation around what are the implications? Like, it is so eye-opening. Like, how many people are on your team? We have seven. Okay, so have you done it with your team yet? Yeah. Okay, so you it's know what it does. It's a requirement. 
yeah, you can't even apply to to work with us without giving us your Enneagram number. <laughs> right. So you know that it kind of opens everybody's eyes. They all go, oh, that's why you do things that way. Oh, that's why you think that way. Oh, this isn't personal. That's your architecture. That's how you're kind of built, right? Yeah. Um, and it begins to describe what you're like when you're doing really great and when you're you know, under a lot of stress, which helps people, right? So, you know, we begin by learning the Enneagram, learning our own type. It's really important, though, as you've done, for a team to learn about all the other types. It's not enough to just know your type. You got to learn everybody others, every everybody else's type as well. And then you can bring someone like me in to like lead a workshop. I mean, I hate to, again, it's so self-promotional, but it's, it's a really fun day uh, of learning. And uh, I just have had so much experience working with companies of all sizes and, you know, kind of helping them understand how they can need the Enneagram into their dough, you know, and have it become just a, a, a vernacular that you have to talk with each other every day about your operating system and the gifts you bring to the table. And, and also you can be more supportive of each other because if you understand each other's types, you know what you look like when you're going sideways, you know? And so again, gosh, I can't say, I can't say enough about its usefulness. And if you could say, just based on your experience, you know, are there certain Enneagram types that are better for certain roles? Like a, a personal assistant, you're going to want that to be a type blank. The, you know, the communications director, the CFO, the CEO, whatever that may be. Is that, would you say that based off of what you've seen, there is a pattern or no? So one thing is, is that we have to be careful of sort of assigning competencies to certain numbers. So you, you don't want to say, oh, we have to do something artsy here in graphic design. Let's get a four. Because you might find that there's a great one and there's a great eight, you know, who does great work in that space, right? Because, and so that way you're still staying with type instead of stereotyping, which is different. Like don't stereotype a four, you know, because any number could be a great graphic designer. Any number could be a great CFO. That being said, you know, um, I meet, I'll just tell you what I meet out there. I meet a ton of sevens who are great entrepreneurs, like amazing entrepreneurs. And we don't have time to enumerate all the reasons why. Um, I meet obviously a lot of fours in the creative fields. I meet a lot of twos who are tremendous HR heads. Um, they are great personal assistants, executive assistants, um, you know, I meet a lot of fives who are in engineering or coders or, you know, that kind of work. I could go on and on. Sixes make great risk management people, right? Uh, you know, and nines, you know, I think people don't think of nines as being great leaders, you know, because they're so laid back. But actually, I think four of our most effective presidents of the last 50 years have all been nines. Because they're great consensus builders, right? They're deal, they're mediators. They know how to get everybody to the table and make deals, right? Mm. So again, don't as, don't uh, assign too many like like don't silo a type and say they can only do that, right? Because you know people are more complicated than 
than that, if that makes sense. Right. Would I you bet say, you you have a lot of I bet you have a lot of threes, sevens, and eights who listen to this podcast, and probably a handful of ones. Yes, I would agree with you on that. Just from what I know, and um, even in my coaching communities, I will ask people their enneagram numbers. Lots of threes, lots of eights, some sevens, um, some twos as well. So yeah, it's it's fascinating to see if there's a pattern that comes up. Um, would you say if if God had an enneagram number, what what would it be? Yes, um, I think God would be all nine numbers in equal in equal share. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah, I actually do think that we have um, each of us contains all nine numbers, but in reality, we just default to one that is dominant, right? So I just think that God has access in equal measure to all nine types. And uh, I think we should kind of aspire to do the same. I'd love that. And I, I've got to share because obviously we're on a podcast and there's podcast listeners listening to this podcast. Um, you have an incredible podcast. I would love for you to share a little bit about typology and, um, and what it's about and, um, and how people can tune into that. Thanks. So the Typology is a podcast about the Enneagram on which I interview people of different types and about their experiences and about their expertise, about their life stories and about what they're doing now and how their Enneagram type is all woven into that stuff. It's a very personal, often very fun, if not times moving exploration of each of these types inner worlds, right? How did they get here? What's the story they adopted? How are they breaking free from it, et cetera? Uh, it's got about 20 million downloads now. It's it's got a sweet audience. People, here's the thing, Julie. I have a I have a quote unquote product that's kind of um, it's kind of bulletproof because nobody doesn't want to hear about themselves. <laughs> nobody doesn't want to hear about their mother-in-law to try and figure it out. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. Everybody loves to talk about themselves, and nobody's thinking about you because they're too busy thinking about themselves. <laughs> Absolutely true. Yes. Oh, I love that. And it's, it is, it's, it's a very, it's, it's a very enlightening, deep, fun, um, conversation to listen to on your podcast. I love listening to your podcast. And I know that you have some incredible resources, some of which you've shared, you can go in you can actually do in-person workshops. Of course you have the assessment. Um, are there other research resources for those who are listening and want to dive a little bit deeper that you could help them with? Sure. Well, we have a uh, we have two courses. One is called Discovering You. It's an eight hour course covering all nine numbers of the Enneagram. Uh, we have another one called Discovering You, which is kind of the 2.0 version of that. You know, um, we have uh, a, you know a subscription service where people have more access to me. We have monthly town halls where I'm interacting with members. You know, on Zoom, and that actually is beautiful because we have so many people who come on and they just have real life issues that they want to talk about. You know, they have marriages falling apart. They have businesses that are thriving and they want to talk about how to make them even better or they want to, it kind of goes all over the place, but it's really about, I don't know, it's a little bit like the school of life, you know, once a month. And it's really, really fantastic. So, and of course the books, the workbooks, it's, if people went to Ian Morgan Cron, I-A-N-M-O-R-G-A-N, C-R-O-N.com, they could learn about all of that stuff. 
Awesome. We're going to make sure to have that in the show notes. And again, um, Ian's book, The Story of You, and Enneagram Journey to Becoming Your True Self. We're going to be giving away 10 of these to our lucky listeners. So in order to win a free copy, all you have to do is screenshot today's episode, tag me and Ian in that. Um, I'm at Joel Solomon. Ian is at... At Ian Morgan Cron. Yes, I-A-N-M-O-R-G-A-N-C-R-O-N. And let us know what your biggest takeaway was from this conversation. Um, we'd love to know if you're if you're going to be diving in and what you want to learn more about. And the first 10 screenshots I see will be getting a copy of Ian's book, The Story of You, sent to their lovely home or wherever you want me to send it to. So thank you so much, Ian, for being here with us and diving into this really fun conversation. I so appreciate it. I had a ball, Julie. Thank you. As always, thank you so much for joining me today and every week here on the Influencer Podcast. If you're wanting to dive deeper into the topics and discussions that we have here, I would encourage you to head over to juliesolomon.net and sign up for my weekly newsletter. It is in our amazing newsletter community that we are able to really support you on a much larger scale. And I love to do a ton of amazing things that I send inside your inbox every single week. So just head over to juliesolomon.net. You'll see a little spot there that you can add your information in and you will get on the list and start receiving all all of that good stuff.